Hello, Health Investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Jesse Inchospay, the woman behind Glucose Goddess on Instagram. As you're about to hear, Jesse has a very unique combination of talents, interests, and certifications. At 28 years old, she's a unique and passionate voice in health who bridges the science to brand chasm. Trained as a scientist and researcher, she plows headfirst through mathematics and biochemistry, learning the technical facts of anything she's passionate about. Jessie graduated from King's College London in 2012 with a bachelor's in mathematics, during which she wrote a thesis on computer natural language processing that claimed the highest grade ever awarded in the mathematics department. She then joined an IARPA-funded research team at the University of Pennsylvania, where she designed statistical algorithms and was the youngest among a team of PhDs in statistics to first author a scientific paper. In 2015, she went on to complete a master's in biochemistry and molecular and cell biology at Georgetown University, during which she specialized in nutrition and physiology and performed wet lab research on the development of cancerous tumors in the offspring of rats fed different types of diets. And this research was also published. From there, she moved to the West Coast and spent four years working at the genetic startup 23andMe in Mountain View, California. From there, she moved to the West Coast and spent four years working at the genetic startup 23andMe in Mountain View, California. She joined as an intern, quickly rose up within the company, and ended up leading the product team in charge of cutting-edge health features. While at 23andMe, her work was featured in Wired and Business Insider. In 2018, she was featured as one of Grace Hopper Conference's Women in Tech. Jessie has been using her voice and knack for branding to speak about nutrition since 2015 on her blog, and in 2019 started the Glucose Goddess Instagram, which rapidly grew into a movement. In 2020, she founded Sugar Mama, the umbrella company for all of her nutrition and glucose-related projects. Jessie was born in the Basque country of France and grew up in Paris. She's also a musician and recording artist and had a two-year stint as a model in London, and loves drinking tea and talking about the meaning of life with her friends. She lives in San Francisco. In the episode, Jessie shares why everyone should care about blood glucose spikes, what a continuous glucose monitor can and can't tell you, simple hacks and food combos for mitigating blood sugar spikes, and more. Do me a favor. While you're listening, take a selfie, post it to social media, Tag me at The Health Investment and let me know your takeaways. I love seeing you in action and learning your favorite parts of each episode. All right, it's time to hear from Jesse. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of The Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. 
When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. It's such a treat to have you here. And I've been following you on Instagram for a long time. If listeners are not following you, we'll share your handle, Glucose Goddess. They can find you <laughs> right now. But the things you post are absolutely fascinating. And I can't wait to really dive into all your whole story and how you got started and everything you've learned throughout your journey. Thanks for having me, Brooke. And you know, every time somebody introduces me and says my uh, Instagram handle is Glucose Goddess, I always feel just a tinge of embarrassment. I'm like, oh God, people must think I'm really the least humble person in the world. (laughs) No, I like it. I like the alliteration. Yeah. I was saying it, my husband was asking this morning, who are you interviewing? And I said, Glucose Goddess. And he was Uh like, oh yeah, he likes it. The alliteration alliteration is really, I think, part of the success of it. The the account used to be called my name, which is Jesse Inchospe, which is really not at all palatable or shareable. And I was in a taxi with my mom and my sister. And I was like, guys, I need a new name for my account because it's just, it's hurting me that it's so complicated. And so we thought, okay, what rhymes with glucose? So we thought, you know, glucose girl, glucose gal. And then my my mother says, glucose goddess. And, you know, you can hear a pin drop. Oh, my God, we found it. So that's how it Oh, I love it. (laughs) And then there's always, then you cross your fingers that it's still available whenever you. Yes. Oh, I know. It was so stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. Um, What a cool little story. But I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear more about your background and what got you started with that account to begin with. Sure. I think actually I can trace back this whole experience um, to when I was 19. So when I was 19, I was this happy, naive teenager running around just thinking I was immortal. And one summer I was in Hawaii with a few friends and we decided to go walk in the jungle. And we get to this waterfall and my friends think, hey, we should jump off this waterfall. This sounds like a really great idea. And I had never done anything like that before, but, you know, I was really confident and I was a teenager. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it too. So I get to the top of the rock and the waterfall is about maybe 30 feet tall. So it's pretty, pretty high. And um, my friends say, okay, Jesse, when you land into the water, just make sure that your whole body is very straight. Like you have to land like a pencil into the water. And so I say, okay, fine. And off I go and I I jump and as soon as my feet leave the rock and I feel, you know, that sensation of falling in my stomach, I just freak out. I get so scared. And in midair, I try to stop the fall. And so as a result, instead of landing perfectly straight in the water, I land just the slightest bit sitting down, like a little bit crooked. And because I didn't land perfectly straight and because the water at that height um, essentially acts like concrete, one of my vertebrae exploded under the pressure. My oh tailbone, my yeah, my tailbone hit the water and the pressure went chak, 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 bam, uh, into one of my vertebrae and the vertebrae just exploded under the pressure into 13 pieces. And that's kind of when things changed for me. So, uh, wow. 
yeah, it was it was kind of a crazy situation. I didn't know what had happened for a long time. Then I went to the hospital, did a scan, and they saw that my vertebrae was broken. I was flown back to Europe. I had really intense surgery. It was really painful, and but all in all, you know, my body healed in a matter of months. But afterwards, for a good eighteen months, I had very severe mental health problems. I couldn't understand why I had a body anymore. I felt very disconnected. Some people called it depersonalization disorder. I don't really know what it was. I just knew that I was very, very scared of myself and my own body. And I knew something was wrong. Like I just, every day I woke up and I thought to myself, do I still feel this way? That was my first thought, you know, every morning. And for 18 months, I still did. But what I learned through that experience was that nothing is more important than health, physical and mental, just nothing. You know, it was like this huge smack in the face of Jesse, if you don't have your health, if you your body is not in good shape and if your brain is not working properly, nothing else matters. So at 19, that's how I got started on this path of I want to understand how to fix myself. I want to understand how my body works. I need to know how to feel better and I need to understand this crazy machine. So long story short, uh, I ended up going to school for biochemistry because I wanted to understand the biology of the human body. Then I work uh, in Silicon Valley at this wonderful company called 23andMe, which is a genetics startup. I was there for four years. Yeah. Do you know about it? Yeah. 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 So I was there and I learned everything about genetics, but I realized actually that genetics wasn't going to help me figure out how to wake up every morning feeling amazing. Genetics is wonderful to enable you to understand what kind of diseases you might get in the future and what you need to look out for. But in terms of telling me what I need to do today so that tomorrow morning my brain feels good, genetics is not the answer. So I moved on to nutrition. I was lucky enough to take part in this pilot study we were doing at 23andMe where a few of us put on the continuous glucose monitor. And a continuous glucose monitor, what it does is that it sits on the back of your arm and every few minutes it measures the amount of sugar in your blood and it sends the piece of data, that number to your phone. So in real time, you have information on exactly what's going on inside of your body. And this is something that literally changed my life. Now, every time I ate something or did something, I could instantly see how the inside of my body was reacting. And I knew from all the scientific studies that huge variations in glucose levels, like big spikes and big drops are detrimental and are hard for our body to deal with. And that a steady, you know, steady glucose levels is where you want to be. And so through looking at this data and through experimenting, I started doing all these things to keep my glucose levels steadier. And I felt better every time I implemented one of these new rules in my life. So it was just, it was one of those things that's so life-changing that I couldn't keep my mind off it. And so about a year ago, I left 23andMe to dedicate myself fully to bringing this information about glucose levels to everybody. Because if you have a body, you have to know about your glucose levels. It's so important. Hmm. What are the things that you started to do just right off the bat to keep your glucose levels the same? And do you still do those things? Like, how did you figure out what to do in the first place? Good question. So I just looked at a lot of papers. Thankfully, uh-huh. you know, I'm I'm trained as a scientist and researcher, so I knew how to dive into Google Scholar and just go ham on everything that existed. The first few things I did was understanding that it's not about 
not eating things that turn into glucose anymore to keep your glucose level steady. So of course, if you stop eating sugar, there's no more sugar in your system. So you won't see big glucose spikes in your blood. That's one way to go, but it's not the only way to go. Because by combining sugary things, starches that turn into glucose with other stuff like protein, fat, and fiber, the mixture that you create leads to a much flatter glucose response than the carbs or the sugar on their own. So I started making sure that I never, ever, ever had carbs on an empty stomach and on their own. That was the, the biggest thing I did. And then I would say the second thing that was really interesting, because at work we had this super cool gym, so I could really experiment with exercise and understand how I could time my, you know, uh, weightlifting sessions or my little bike sessions in a way that negated all of the bad effects of a spike from eating something sweet a few minutes before. Hmm. Mm. What are the bad effects of a spike? How do you feel different? Mm. That's a great question. So I do want to say that, you know, our bodies are used to dealing with glucose. So I'm not saying that you should never, ever eat anything that turns into glucose. I mean, our body is this incredible machine that knows how to deal with carbs and that knows how to deal with glucose increases in our bloodstream. However, the issue is these days we eat so many sugary things and we eat so many grains and so many things that lead to big glucose spikes that our system is a bit overwhelmed. We're kind of abusing this glucose regulating machine. And so as a result, when your glucose levels become very, very high, I mean, a lot of things happen. The first thing that happens is that your liver starts sucking the glucose out of your blood, okay, and it stores it there because we don't want high glucose levels. So our body is really trying to get rid of the situation. Second thing that happens, your muscles take in excess glucose and store it there to use it for energy later. The third thing that happens is that your fat cells actually suck out the, the glucose of your blood and turn it into fat. And these are all mechanisms that are in place to get your glucose levels back down. Because as I said, it's not a, it's not a state your body wants to be in. But because of this high stress that situation that you're in when your glucose levels are too high, you can feel brain fog, you can feel fatigue, um, a lot of oxidation happens, free radicals get created, you age, your hormone levels get out of whack, you can sleep poorly um, that night. I mean, the ramifications kind of go on and on. Um, there's a lot of amazing studies that have shown that diets that cause high glucose spikes lead to heart disease. I mean, obviously, type 2 diabetes is a massive consequence of deregulated glucose levels. Um, there's some cool studies showing that, for example, when teenage boys uh, eat a diet that leads to big glucose spikes, they have more acne than kids mm. who eat a diet um, with that leads to steadier glucose. It's just, a, it's just an inflammatory process in your body. So anything that you can imagine is going to be affected by high glucose levels. Right. You just essentially described the standard American diet, I think, mm. and the diet that many people in the world now follow, I think, because of United States influence or yeah. you know, it's kind of spreading um, beyond. But I know for myself, everything you described just really hit home and I didn't even know it. I think that's probably yeah, we don't the know real it. problem. We don't know it because I was just fatigued. I had bad skin. I was overweight. I, you know, just felt awful a lot of my 20s. And mm -hmm. looking back on it, I can really see that I felt awful. But at the time, I know I didn't feel great, but I didn't realize how bad I felt. So 
it's, compared I mean, to it's now. sad. Yeah, exactly. So you've been able to isolate this and really realize how, so can you tell a huge difference now because you're so in tune with this when you eat, let's say a croissant mm-hmm. with nothing, no mm-hmm. fat, no fiber mm-hmm. with it. Do you just feel disgusting? Honestly? Yeah. And I'm not perfect. Like I eat carbs a lot of the time. Um, but when I do eat carbs, if I want to avoid the bad side effects, for me, the worst side effects are when my glucose is spiking, I get this crazy brain fog. I just, I, I think they're pretty similar to the mental health issues I used to have, where I just feel completely like in, not in reality. I feel like everything around me is sort of a movie. I just really lose touch with um, the present and reality. And that happens a lot when my glucose levels are increasing super quickly. And then I definitely feel gross about two hours later when my glucose levels are coming back down. I feel tired. I crave coffee or more sugar. And then I'm on this roller coaster all day. Which which leaves me when I go to sleep in the evening feeling like, ugh, I, f- I wish I had not eaten that croissant in the morning because it really messed up my entire flow for the entire day. Right, for mm. sure. I'm the same way. I definitely don't restrict things that I love and will sometimes indulge in croissants if I'm in Paris or mm-hmm. <laughs> we keep mentioning croissants probably because I know you live in France but and they're the best uh or you know pizza or nachos or whatever yeah but I think it's just really the difference now is that I'm eating many of the same things that I used to but I always am making an informed choice about it and I know how I'll feel after mm-hmm. so I decide if the thing is really worth it yes So I'm not going to just keep Chips Ahoy cookies in my cupboard because I love chocolate chip cookies, but those aren't to me worth it. But if I'm walking by a cute little cafe and they have the most amazing chocolate chip cookie with sea salt, Mm. then to me, that's worth it to feel however, (laughs) to feel however I'm going to feel later on. But I just think that's, that's really the piece that's missing for a lot of the clients I work with. And you don't know how good you feel. So it's, you know, it's, it's not really making informed choices. It's just kind of your habit of what you're Mm -hmm. eating. So it's Mm -hmm. not, I don't even know exactly what I'm trying to say, but (laughs) I, 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 I think I understand. And I also think that in terms of not knowing things, I think for a lot of us, you know, we eat carbohydrates and processed foods and flour, and we don't actually realize how bad they are for our body because even though our body, when we eat something that turns into glucose and creates a big spike, inside of our body is like a high stress level. It's like alert, like pancreas is going crazy. You got the liver trying to fix this whole thing. Like fat cells are sucking up the glucose as a whole. I mean, it's like war in there. But we don't really feel that. You know, mm-hmm. for some reason, we're not really in tune with the stress that our body is going through. So we just keep, keep eating the bread, not realizing what it's doing to our insides. Until years later, we get a diagnosis or something. You know, I think we've kind of lost touch with what's happening inside of our bodies. So as a result, we just make food choices um, that are not really well-informed, I guess. But we don't have the information. It's hard to know. Exactly. And I think that's, again, why I love your account, because you give so much amazing information. So (laughs) all of us who aren't wearing these continuous glucose monitors can still Uh get a lot of data. 
Yes, that's the thing. Like, you don't need to wear a glucose monitor because myself and a lot of amazing people in the community, like, we've done that. We've worn glucose monitors. We've done tests and tests and tests. We've read all the studies. We've aggregated all of the data. We found all the insights and we post them um, on my account. So you'll find a comparison of, like, okay, for example, an apple on its own versus an apple and peanut butter. So what's going on here? When you eat an apple, especially apples these days, you know, fruit is just bred to be like candy. So an apple is actually super high in sugar. So an apple alone will spike, at least in my case, my blood sugar levels pretty freaking high, like higher than you would expect because I'm eating sugar on its own, right? Of course, apple juice will be even worse because you're taking away mm -hmm. all the fiber in the fruit. But if you have apple and you add to it peanut butter or like a piece of cheese or anything that has um, protein and fat in it, you really significantly reduce the speed at which the glucose enters your body. So the spike, and you see this in my account, I show the spike of an apple versus an apple and peanut butter, the spike will be much, much lower. And you're not eating f less sugar. You're just mixing it with something that makes the impact of the sugar on your body way less intense and crazy and scary for your insides. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I love that you do that too, because again, you're not saying don't ever eat rice or don't no. ever eat ice cream. It's God. just sometimes maybe you're going to have those things in isolation, but if you don't want to feel really bad after, what are mm. some ways that you can kind of mitigate? Yes, you the totally damage? got it. Like how do we eat the things that we like eating in a way that's not too bad for our body? And you mentioned, you know, I don't tell people to never eat carbs and I'm so not a person that has a specific ideology diet wise. I'm not trying to push anything. I, I think there's no benefit in us being extreme in any way. I'll give you two examples. When I was a teenager, I was vegan for like a year. Honestly, I felt so awful. I was a really mm. bad vegan. I was eating Oreos and pasta. And just because it was vegan, I would eat it. I didn't actually understand what the point of vegan was. You know, the point of vegan is making these amazing nutrient-rich stews and really eating the rainbow and understanding all the different kinds of vegetables that are under the sun and having a rich, a varied diet. So I was a bad vegan. Then in my early 20s, I went keto for like six months. And I actually gained weight on keto because I was just eating cheese all the time. My period stopped. Mm. I mean, the whole and <laughs> extreme diets never worked for me. And I don't really think we need to ascribe, subscribe to a particular ideology. I think it's more about understanding how our bodies work. And then whatever your diet is, whether you're vegan or you're paleo or you're whatever you are, then understanding the small tweaks you can make within your diet to just harm your body a little bit less and take better care of it and like sustain health over the long term. Right. I couldn't agree more. I'm always the most skeptical if somebody tells me everybody should eat this way or don't ever eat this because mm -hmm. these black and white areas aren't where we live. We all live mm -hmm. in this gray area. So yeah. So many people who end up finding me will say, I felt too restricted on keto or like you, like I ended up gaining weight. And it's mm -hmm. just, it's sad to me that that's what a lot of people are still turning to when really what, what actually works is essentially what our great grandma and grandmas were saying to us and mm -hmm. just, you know, eat a lot of plants, eat healthy fats, yeah. eat some fiber, eat, you know, awesomely sourced meat if you can afford it mm -hmm. but it just goes back to the basics yes and you know i mean 
I understand people who turn towards a specific diet. I mean, it's really nice when you pick up a book or something and it tells you this is the way you're going to feel better. It's, it's, it's very reassuring mm-hmm. to, to say now I'm vegan and now I'm keto. And unfortunately, I mean, for some people it works and that's really awesome. But I think for a lot of us, it just, it just ends up being uh, quite unfulfilling, unfortunately, but it's easy. So yeah, we try it out. Right. And I think that's a good point too. I mean, if somebody, if it works for them, keto, yes. then by all means, if that's working for your body and you feel yes. great, I'm just all about, and I'm, I know you are too from following you, just like we've said, figuring out what works for you. How can you feel amazing? Because it's so much less, I think, even though I was 15 to 20 pounds overweight always in my 20s, it's so much mm-hmm. less about that and so much more about how I was feeling. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm. the now I don't want to give up the amazing energy I feel Mm -hmm. and sleeping better and having my skin be really bright and clear and Mm -hmm. just all of those amazing things Mm -hmm. to me are so much more powerful even than the way I would look or Mm -hmm. the weight I've lost. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. you said at least in my case at one point, so for the glucose monitor, how much do glucose spikes differ from person to person? Mm. It's a really interesting question. So there's quite a bit of science that's been done on this. Uh, my summary of it would be to say that in 80% of the cases, we're all pretty similar. So if you and I both ate like a piece of chocolate cake and both ate broccoli and salmon, like in both of our cases, the chocolate cake is going to spike us more. That's pretty clear. Uh, Your spike might be higher than mine a little bit, but in general, when we compare those two foods, we're going to see a similar similar relative response. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then within particular food groups, like for example, within chocolate cakes, like brands of chocolate cake, if you and I test, I don't know, five or 10 different chocolate cakes, the one that spikes you the highest might be completely different from mine. Hmm. So yeah, there's like an inter and intra- food category situation here um but generally like all the stuff i post on my account it will it will work the same for all of us so adding fiber adding fat adding protein using your muscles to curb a spike um doing the apple cider vinegar trick all of those things will work regardless of who you are and i think wearing a glucose monitor really helps you dive deep into very specific aspects of um of food choices but generally i don't think you need one i mean it's cool if you can get one that's awesome but they're kind of expensive i think just looking at my account you can learn a lot already right and do does health insurance usually cover them do you know in the united states or in other countries or so i believe in the united states if you're a type 1 diabetic some some insurances do Um, i think they're still pretty hard to get uh, our hands on in the u.s for example if you're not a diabetic you can't get one because you need a prescription uh, to have access in Europe and in Paris, for example, where I get mine, you just walk into the pharmacy and you can buy one regardless of who you are. So in the U S yeah, we're not quite there yet. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. huh, interesting. Um, I wanted to also, so you said the spikes can kind of vary mm-hmm. for some people, not so much if it's chocolate cake versus salmon, but mm-hmm. among different chocolate cakes. Mm-hmm. So are those variations really based on, genetic factors or more environmental factors like you mentioned like exercise or Mm. other things so there's this amazing study that was published in cell in 2015 uh, done by the researchers at the Wiseman Institute in Israel and they tried to answer the specific question so genetics 
doesn't seem to actually be a big component of this. Uh, the big components of why glucose spikes vary person to person seem to be the following. So first of all, your microbiome. So the, the mm. bacteria in your gut seems to play a pretty big role. Then things like your activity level, very simply, like if you have more muscle and they're, they demand more energy, you'll see a smaller glucose spike because any glucose you ingest will be immediately used by your muscles. Um, then you have how, how hydrated you are, how well you yeah. slept, what you ate the day before, what's currently in your stomach, your stress levels. I mean, your, and your physiological markers. Obviously, if you're closer to type 2 diabetes than I am, for example, the glucose spike that a chocolate cake will cause you will be higher than mine. So it's just a myriad of things, and we're discovering new ones every day. Yeah, that's fascinating, um, especially, I think, all the research on sleep and stress and mm -hmm. how that can affect mm -hmm. even just how many calories you eat the next day because, mm -hmm. you know, um, what's going on internally. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, a, that's really fascinating. So what have you... You kind of touched on it, but what have you discovered exactly about exercise? It's if you mm -hmm. exercise after mm -hmm. eating something that would cause a glucose spike? Yes. So let me walk you through it. So let's say you're going to eat a cookie. Okay. So it's a delicious sea salt cookie that you got in a little French cafe or something. Mm -hmm. um, your dream. Yes, my dream. <laughs> okay. We actually have one in the freezer that my husband bought me a while ago. And I From Paris? No, oh. I wish. No, it was from, I think it was from a little bakery around here. That might be kind of a Parisian nice. style, but nice. all I've been thinking about this entire talk is that cookie and how I need to thaw it out. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I hope yeah. you enjoy it. Yes, so I will. when, when we eat a cookie, there are a few things in the cookie that turn into glucose as we digest it. So first of all, there's sugar, right? They're just raw white sugar that's put in the cookie. But second, the flour, because any starch is actually just millions and millions of tiny little molecules of glucose that are stuck together. And when you chew the starch and when your stomach digests the starch, it breaks it up into the individual molecules of glucose. So the starch actually becomes essentially pure sugar in your stomach and turns into something that's essentially the same thing as the white sugar that's also in the cookie. So it's just a lot of sugar stuff. Mm -hmm. So the sugar ends up in your stomach and then it passes through your intestine. As it's in your intestine, all of a sudden it gets sucked into your blood and there's a big increase in glucose levels in your bloodstream. And as I mentioned before, big increases in glucose levels are not something our body wants to, wants to have. Like it's trying to get rid of this glucose as quickly as possible. And muscles, interestingly, muscles need glucose to contract. In order to contract, they need tiny little bits of glucose so they turn into energy. So if... As the glucose spike is happening in your blood, if your muscles are pumping, running, jumping, doing whatever, they're going to be the prime customers of this glucose in your bloodstream, and they're going to suck it right up to contract and make energy and move things and do whatever you're doing. And the more intensely you're exercising, the more your muscles are going to need glucose. So the quicker they will pull this glucose out of your blood and use it for energy. On the other hand, if after you eat your cookie, you just sit there and stare at the wall, <laughs> the, yeah. the glucose spike is going to increase and increase and higher and higher in your blood until your body has to put it into like fat cells or something because it has nothing else to do with it. So one thing I do if I'm going to eat a cookie or a slice of cake or even pasta because I love pasta, 
20 minutes after I eat it, I'll do, you know, 20 push-ups on the floor or some squats while I'm watching a TV show. Or I'll go for a walk. Science has shown that even a short walk, a 20-minute walk after you eat has significant effects on the glucose spike created by what you just ate. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. What if somebody is an avid exerciser and they're in tip-top shape? Mm -hmm. Is it the same effect the glucose spike as somebody more sedentary or does that person have kind of an advantage mm, that's interesting you know that? well let's think about it so if somebody is a super athlete first of uh -huh. all their muscles just at rest right will be using more energy right so their right. their base basal metabolic rate will be higher so by default any glucose that makes it into their blood will be sucked up by their muscles that are very hungry If somebody is very sedentary and has zero muscle mass, the glucose will just stay in the blood and start causing problems. But I think the rule still holds. Right. Even if you're a super athlete, you can still help yourself by doing, you know, maybe if you're a super athlete, instead of doing 10 push-ups like me, you'll do like 50 burpees. <laughs> I don't know, whatever, whatever you can manage. And even in a super athlete, um, the glucose will be used by their muscles if they're exercising. So yeah, I think it, it holds. I don't see why not. Yeah, I love that little tip, though, that it's mm -hmm. not you have to go to the gym and do an hour workout. It's just, could you just give yourself a little bit of an advantage by doing yes. something, 10 or yes. 20 of something? Yes. And for me, when I do that, that's really one of the ways I see the most difference in how I feel afterwards. So if I eat pasta and I don't move, I'm going to feel a little bit icky a little bit later, you know, kind of like ants in my pants. Like, I don't know, just like uh, I'll feel a little bit crawly and not great. But if after I eat, I move my muscles and I use that glucose for energy instead of letting it stay there in my blood, I really don't feel poorly afterwards. I'm able to sustain my nice mood and my energy levels um, until, you know, hours later. It's making me think of when I'm on vacation and I'm eating, let's say, things like pasta, especially in Europe. I keep mm -hmm. thinking of Europe, but let's say I'm walking in the morning and I have a croissant and then maybe a little bit of pasta for lunch or something. I usually feel better. And I think there's a lot that people will say in the United States of, oh, when I go to Europe, I eat pasta and I feel fine or I eat bread and I feel fine. The walking, Where, no? That Exactly. That's yeah. what I was just thinking. The mm -hmm. walking and just mm -hmm. being more active and then also yes. probably you're maybe sleeping better on vacation, you have lower stress levels on vacation. Mm. So all of these factors contributing to feeling better. Yes, I think maybe the walking it's not is huge. Yeah, and I think you do. I mean, there could be something to say as well for the quality of ingredients over there versus mm -hmm. maybe some of them here. But yeah, I've never thought about that, but that's such a cool point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering, also touching on flour, have you noticed different spikes with different types of flour have you ever tested mm. that like almond flour that's something i'm actually in the process of testing so that was oh, pretty okay. high up i get requests like all the time about i'm sure yeah so one thing i'm going to be testing soon is white bread versus brown bread versus sourdough bread versus multi-grain bread mm. but i actually uh, there's a post that's going to be posted in a few days i'll give you a super teaser um mm. it's white rice versus brown rice Mm -hmm. and I we didn't actually find that big of a difference, uh, yeah. interestingly. I think brown rice is really touted as this amazing alternative to processed uh, grains, and it's super healthy for you, but in terms of glucose levels, like it doesn't make that big of a difference. The this slight increase in fiber in the brown rice doesn't seem to have that big of an impact on the glucose mm. spike. You know, rice is still rice, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it's still delicious, but yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's still gonna spike your so glucose. good. Yeah, but you know, if you have it with like avocado, maybe some veggies, some protein, um, olive oil, you'll really help yourself versus having it on its own. Oh, and right. sushi rice is the worst. So oh. the rice that they use to make sushi, um, they actually mix it with sugar. Oh, did you know this? I did not. It's insane. And when I was wearing a glucose monitor and I had sushi for the first time, my, I mean, my glucose spiked super freaking high. And I was like, come on, it's just rice and fish. And then I looked into it and yeah, sushi rice is made um, with vinegar and sugar. Oh, no wonder it's it's so delicious. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's the sweet and sour kind of thing. So, you know, a a slightly better option is just ordering the sashimi. So the, the fish on its own, and then on the side, a bowl of regular white rice because at mm. least that rice won't be full of sugar as well huh that's a yeah, yeah that's a good tip I love these I love hacks like this of <laughs> tiny little things you can do to make a difference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh wow that's really fascinating and it makes me think a lot of people will say oh, I'm going to opt for healthier takeout and get sushi mm. but really you may not be better off in terms of glucose spikes yeah, in terms of glucose, but the thing is, glucose isn't everything either, right? Mm-hmm. If you're having sushi, you're not having something that's deep fried, that's full of mm-hmm. trans fats. So it's it's a balancing act, really. Right. Mm. What about, you mentioned an apple with some type of protein or mm-hmm. fat. So then it made me think of pizza, because you're mm. eating bread with cheese. Mm-hmm. So have you noticed a difference eating pizza, let's say, versus regular bread? Or is that one that you haven't just mm. tested yet? So I haven't done like a head-to-head comparison of, you know what I would like to do for it to be perfect is order a pizza, (laughs) cut it in half, have one half of the pizza just with the topping and regular. On the other half of the pizza, scrape off the toppings and have just the crust. That would be a really good comparison, but I haven't done that yet. No, that would be great. And also, yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of cool because you, I like how your studies start. It's order a pizza. <laughs> like, that sounds delicious and amazing. Sign me up. Yes. Anything for science. I will do anything for science. <laughs> do you ever feel kind of locked into this? And do you ever not mm. want to eat the things that? Oh, yeah. Could, yeah. I don't force myself. I have to say okay. I don't force myself. And what's been really cool is actually by creating this Instagram account. It used to be just me. You know, for the first nine months, it was just me running my experiments on myself. And so it was pretty time consuming and um, just a lot. And now there's this amazing community um, around the Glucose Goddess Instagram account of people all over the world that are wearing their own glucose monitors and testing their own things and then using my app to create the graphs. Then they send me the graphs and I repost them. So you'll see in most of my posts these days, you'll see if you look in the description, it'll say like, you know, thank you, Frida. Thank you, Jorge, for testing this. It's not just me anymore, which is so damn cool. And I'm so excited about this. Yes. Oh, I was wondering that because I had seen that and I didn't exactly understand, but I see. So other people are sending you their data. Yes. Wow. That's very cool. And I keep a long list, like a laundry list of all of the tests that have been requested, all of the tests that we all think we should run and um, we just all contribute to, to it, you know? How cool. That's so cool. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. 
I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries. Everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. What are some of the other foods besides sushi that really Mm. spike your glucose that you maybe didn't know would Mm. do so? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or drinks too. It could be foods and drinks. Yeah. Um, Okay. I think probably for me, the saddest story was that there was this salad I loved making um, Mm. by this it's in this cookbook by Ottolenghi, this amazing chef that has restaurants in London. And so the salad was um, roasted cauliflower, which is probably my favorite food of all time, mm-hmm. with cheddar, hazelnuts, grapes, raisins, mustard, uh, and parsley. So good. And so I was making the salad because I made it all the time. And I was wearing my glucose monitor for the first time. And I was expecting this to just not do anything. So I thought, hmm, just veggies, you know, cheese, super healthy. Unfortunately, it led to a much bigger spike than I had anticipated. Hmm. And in retrospect, it should have been obvious, but I just didn't know. So grapes on their own are actually just sugar bombs. And then raisins, which are also in the recipe, are dehydrated sugar bombs. So it's a sugar plus sugar. So that was a big surprise because that salad led to a super big spike. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. And what are some other fruits that are just sugar bombs? I other mean, most fruit, fruit as you said, fruit, yeah. fruit sorry, fruit. Yeah. yeah. The, the quote unquote worst ones are tropical fruit. So yeah. papaya, mango, banana, that kind of stuff. But the thing is like, I don't want to say that you should never eat fruit. Like that's right, not right. what the message is. I think it's about being aware of the fact that the way that fruit is bred these days is really to optimize for sweetness i mean it's candy i don't know about you but have you ever been you know somewhere a little bit more natural than a city and seen like i don't know an apple and an actual apple tree on the side of the road like that stuff is not sweet they're tiny and they're sour (laughs) as hell yeah (laughs) that's how fruit was intended that's how nature intended us to consume fruit now the fruit that we have you know the fact that we have pineapple in the middle of the winter in New York or Paris is preposterous. It's just candy. It's dessert. So Mm -hmm. fruit actually has a pretty big impact on your glucose levels. And fruit is also full of fructose, which is bad for your liver for other reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. So then the lower sugar fruits, Mm. berries, let's say, are those, do those keep you more even? Yes, uh, definitely. Berries are kind of the go-to thing. Apples, some of them, especially if you pair them with nut butter, which is kind of really nice to do but berries are berries are the best choice for sure and things like citrus so grapefruits oranges um mandarins clementines how do you call Mm -hmm. them in america i forget yeah both you can call them both so i think sometimes they call them cuties oh yeah cuties those are are probably high in sugar though i think they've bred though yeah Uh uh-huh uh-huh those are the gmo crazy breed high in sugar for sure yeah I'm curious about different alcohols. Have you noticed mm. wine versus, let's say, just a dirty martini or something? Or does yes. all alcohol spike at the same? Great question. So when I first started drinking alcohol and I was wearing my glucose monitor, I got a little freaked out because my glucose levels would decrease after hmm. wine. 
Um, so I did some research and I tried to figure out what was happening. It turns out that when you're drinking alcohol, your liver is really busy dealing with this poisonous thing you just swallowed because alcohol is just poison. So yeah. your liver is super busy trying to get rid of this. And while it's busy with the alcohol, it doesn't have any time to produce any glucose and send it into your bloodstream. Because in a normal circumstance, the liver is what keeps your glucose levels steady and it keeps putting some into your blood at the same rate as it's being used by your brain and other organs. So when you drink alcohol, you completely stop this process. And so because no more glucose is being put into your blood, but because your body is still using it, you actually see decreases in your glucose levels. So for people um, with diabetes, for example, this can lead to pretty severe cases of hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. And I saw this really cool study that said that a few of the quote-unquote symptoms of being drunk could actually be attributed to low sugar levels. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, but, you know... It, Wine, champagne, um, anything that's a hard liquor or spirits, those don't contain any sugar. So while they decrease your sugar levels, they also don't give you a huge glucose spike, which is nice. The alcohols that, despite their effect on your liver, still give you a big glucose spike are, unfortunately, beer. Mm. Any cocktails that are mixed uh, with sugary stuff, you know, which is pretty obvious tonic water so gin tonics unfortunately big spike it's way better to have a gin soda and anything so, with coca-cola yeah. for example oh yeah you said so wine you said doesn't contain any sugar yeah surprisingly it's fine oh so so that's interesting because i feel like a lot of the wine in the u.s does maybe hmm. more natural wine maybe like hmm. I well i, I interviewed this glucose. wine guy and he was yeah. saying they pump a bunch of sugar into a lot of wines um, but you're saying it doesn't really affect your spikes as much as, mm -mm. let's say, a sugary Not cocktail. at all. Like, okay, interesting. Wine, for me, doesn't affect, doesn't move my glucose levels at all. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. You also mentioned an apple cider vinegar trick, which I'm very curious about. Oh, yeah. I, I say this a lot, but I think Bragg's, if you're listening, the brand of apple cider vinegar, you guys should sponsor me because <laughs> the number of apple cider vinegar bottles that people have bought <laughs> after wow. seeing my test is very high. So I found this crazy hack, which is drinking one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in a glass of water before eating something that's high in sugar. If you do this, the spike that is caused by the very sweet thing you just ate will be cut very significantly. Huh. And the reason behind this, so scientists are trying to figure out exactly what's going on, but um, what they think is happening is that the vinegar is actually closing a little bit the, how do I say this, the opening uh, at the very bottom of your stomach, between your stomach and your intestine. And so by closing the opening, it delays or it slows down the speed at which the food is going into your t intestine, turning into glucose and entering your bloodstream. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. Is it? Is there a correlation? I don't know what it would be if it's kind of the same for everyone, but the more you prevent or at least reduce glucose spikes, does that lead to weight loss? Is that kind of like a happy side effect? Mm, that's a really good question, too. You have really good questions, Brooke. Oh, thank you. I'm so, a naturally extremely curious person, which is why I like doing a podcast. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Okay, so the relationship between glucose levels and weight gain, weight loss is 
not super, super simple. But essentially okay. what happens is that when there's a big glucose spike happening because you just ate starches or sugar, one of the ways that your body disposes of this glucose is by putting it into your fat cells mm-hmm. and turning it into fat. So as a result, when you have a big glucose spike, you can be pretty sure that you're putting on fat, okay? Because that's one of your body's ways of defending itself against keeping high glucose levels in your blood. That being said, if, for example, you were a little crazy and you ate 10 pounds of butter every day, Mm -hmm. your glucose wouldn't spike, Mm -hmm. but you would still gain weight because there's other mechanisms by which you gain weight. So weight loss is not just about flattening your glucose levels. It is mm-hmm. one way to do it. And that's what low-carb diets do, right? They mm-hmm. essentially reduce the amount of glucose that you eat so that your body has to empty your fat reserves to get energy and to turn the fat back into glucose, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's not the only way to do it. Calories have a huge impact on this, obviously. And essentially, studies show that in the short term, Low-carb diets are more effective than low-fat diets. But as soon as you reach the like one-year mark, both like the, the performance of both of those types of diets sort of evens out. Right. Yeah, I've seen that too. But yeah. maybe people on the low-fat diet don't feel as happy or satiated oh. all the time because they're hungry all the time. Oh. Whenever it- that is a really, really good point. That's, that's what I was going to say next. Oh, Even yeah. though you see the same outcomes when people adhere to a low-fat or low-carb diet, my personal experience is that on a low-carb diet, so a diet that reduces glucose spikes, you feel less hungry, you have fewer cravings, your energy levels are better. So generally, it's a more enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. That being yeah. said, it's very personal. So there's a lot of people who, for example, ve- I mean, a lot of vegans are extremely healthy and not at all overweight, and they eat just carbs all day. So... Mm-hmm. There's multiple ways of doing this, but the low-carb glucose-emptying approach seems to be one of the ways to lose weight. Right. Well, we're coming up on time here. There's one thing I've been wanting to ask the whole time is, Um, does the monitor hurt? Um, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think if you're scared of needles, you don't, you don't really want to put it in, but I'll explain how it works. So it comes in this little box and there's an applicator about the size of like a half apple or something. And you hold it in your hand and you put it against your arm. So you do it all yourself and you just push. And as you push, there's a little needle that goes underneath your skin that places a very small, flexible bit of fiber under your skin. And then the needle comes out. So the needle does not stay in. And on top of the piece of fiber, um, a sort of like band-aid or like little adhesive thing is placed about the size of like a, I don't know, two euro coin or something like that. And that's the white thing you see in all of my photos. And after, Mm -hmm. once it's in, like you don't feel it at all. You can shower, you can swim, you can do whatever, you completely forget about it. During the application process, you can feel, depending on like where exactly it goes into your skin or how sensitive you are, you can feel from nothing to the pain of, I don't know, somebody flicking your skin with their nail or like a little rubber band or something. It's not, it's really nothing. Most people oh, are that's surprised. interesting. Most people are surprised how, by how little it hurts. Yeah, I was thinking there was a needle in you all the time, which no. wouldn't really make sense, but. Mm-hmm. And that would be pretty painful. That would be painful. Around. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. Well, the final question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Hmm. 
I think making the health investment means spending some time and energy trying to understand what's going on inside of your body. So instead of looking outwards for more solutions, you know, more crash diets, more pills, just spending time learning about how your wonderful internal machine works. Because once you learn how it works, you know how to take care of it better. You want to take care of it better because you realize how much of a miracle it is. And so as a result, you will live a healthier, happier life. Mm, yeah, I love that. <laughs> We've already mentioned your Instagram handle, which I will link in the show notes. It's glucose goddess. Mm -hmm. Is there any other place that's good for people to find you online or on social media? Or is that kind of your predominant space? That's the predominant space, I would say. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Okay, oh, well, uh, I can oh. I can uh, um, make a very exciting announcement. Oh, and awesome. Your podcast will be the first place. I so, love secrets. <laughs> yay. So this is a secret up until about an hour and a half ago. But there's going to be a book. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. Up until an hour and a half ago. Yes, yes, Congratulations. Yes, yes, yes. Thank That's you. so exciting. I'm super excited. Yes. So we're, um, we're going to write a book. And I'm really excited about it because even though the Instagram is amazing, I think for a lot of people, it's not that accessible. And I want to make this information about how your body works and how glucose levels are so pivotal to feeling good. Uh, I want this to be available to millions and millions of people. And I think a book is going to be one of the avenues that I'll be pursuing for this. So I'm very excited. I'll, I'll be announcing it on Instagram, I think, um, in a couple of days. But yeah. Awesome. That's so exciting. Book. Congratulations. What a, you, I mean, that's no easy feat. So <laughs> that's going to be challenging, but also so for rewarding, sure. I think. For sure. For sure. Well, I appreciate your time so, so much. I know it's very late there in France, mm -hmm. um, but just so grateful for everything you've shared. I know this is already, I can tell, one of my favorite episodes and I can't wait mm. to share with everybody. So thank Thanks you so me, much for being here. No, thank you for holding the space. I appreciate it. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one -on -one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.